0: It's a lockdown, isn't it? Hey, everyone. Um, Welcome to another episode of It's a Lockdown, Isn't It? Um, Where I am here in my hotel room during a 14-day mandatory hotel lockdown. Now, I didn't give you guys an episode yesterday because I was too tired. So I'm going to do one today. Oh, as I say that, I yawn. <sighs> so I got a really interesting DM the other day. I kind of want to talk about two things that will probably only take a minute or two each, but I just want to chat about them, my observations and things that I'm realising, realising things Kylie Jenner 2016. And the first one was something that I was talking to, um, the lovely danny clayton about uh last time i saw him we were a little bit drunk and i feel like i thought that it was more profound than it actually is at the time but just bear with me (laughs) so we were talking about like drinking alcohol like drinking whiskey i think um and I was saying, because I think he was having a glass of whiskey and I was saying like, you know, like when I, when I used to work in bars, I used to drink LeFroig, which is a very peaty whiskey, which tastes, it's like mossy. Um, it's a very particular taste for those of you who don't know what Laphroaig is. Um, and I used to drink it. And honestly, I was 19 and I was being kind of performative. And then I said to him, you know, like, it's, it's interesting though, because performative things become habits. And he was like, that's really profound. I don't know if because we were really that drunk. I had like three glasses of wine. We were like, wow, man, that's crazy. (laughs) But I've been thinking the past couple of days, it was in my notes and I found it in my notes of podcast ideas um, before. And I think it actually is something that might mean more than I think it does. I mean, so obviously this is true when it comes to things such as coffee, smoking, drinking. Um, you know, when I started drinking alcohol, I don't think I particularly, well, I definitely didn't enjoy the taste. Who enjoys taste of alcohol, um, at the age of 15 through to like 18, you, you simply don't. Um, but you do it right because you want to be, maybe because you want to be cool, because you want to be drunk or because of uh, everything in between or because everyone else is doing it, it seems easy. That then's become, that then becomes a habit. Now I think the same thing goes for how we are socialising and I think that's particularly evident when it comes to social media and in particular um, I guess certain trends and movements that are on the internet right now and it's something that I kind of tackle and... Am torn between all the time. Um, so there was also a post in the podcast group that actually reminded me of this notion, and it said this. It said, "Yeah, I got WAP right." a public tweet about weight discrimination because the body positivity movement is being co-opted by straight-sized white women contorting their bodies to look fatter so other thin white women can call them brave and I completely agree I mean I'm probably a part of this of this problem um most likely uh one one could argue that though I do think when it comes to this um intent does matter but you know I arguably could be a part of this problem. And I do want to get someone to talk about this um, because I'm obviously not the best person to speak about this being a white, straight-sized uh, woman. Um, I don't believe that I can talk my body to look fatter or, or thinner. Um, but I do think it's interesting when it comes to the idea of certain trends such as, you know, the body positivity movement – I guess gaining traction because it is performative. I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. I had a little interview um, and we were kind of tossing up whether or not this stuff is actually damaging or perhaps even useful and helpful. And while, of course, the initial reaction is to say, nope, it's damaging 100% if it's, you know, disingenuous, if it isn't um, well thought through, it is a negative thing. It is not useful. And that's my initial reaction as well. But the more I think about it, I think what is the real damage being done? And this is a genuine question. I want you guys to answer this in um, the podcast group. Um, I think we definitely need to make an effort as – well, particularly as white women, but as women in general, people in general, to engage more with people who are part of the body positivity movement who are genuinely facing things such as fat phobia um, and fat shaming and uh, racism, of course, and um, transphobia and uh, homophobia and all, all, the, all the things. Um and i think that is it is really true that a lot of the people who are at the top posts of these kind of body positivity movements are all just white women who are maybe a size 10 which is me which is, includes me and i think about the reason for this and and i want i think it is mainly because we because the the, the straight sized white women who follow these people want to see themselves and someone being really, really brave. And I think that also, this could be a bold statement, let me know on the podcast group, but there's also an assumption that, you know, you see a a, a thin white woman and who is conventionally attractive and you, you go, oh, even she's insecure. Um, whereas someone who you think is overweight or a person of colour or uh, trans, you go, well, of course they are. And I think that's the way that, that toxic thinking, that really disappointing thinking is where this whole issue of copting a movement comes from. Okay, you know what? I've I've turned myself around on this in this conversation. Um But when it comes down to it, while yes, there should be more focus on women of colour and plus sized women, genuinely plus sized women, not people that are size, you know, straight sizes, but genuinely plus sized women and men as well. Can someone tell me the real harm in the body positivity movement um, having straight sized white women in it? Now, I know that, but I, I, I already agree with you, but I want you to explain to me so I can have the words. <laughs> because obviously i do agree with what i just said about um the issue is that we automatically say uh oh, well white women sh- white thin thin white women oh they even feel awful like okay what the fuck like it's a bit it's a bit redundant we we need to have more empowerment when it comes to women who are well people who are marginalized um but it just it just made me think you know and i think that comes from this thing of performative things become habits. So when we're all being performative, when there's a whole group of people on the internet, a trend starts, everyone's doing it in a performative way. After a little while, it does become a habit and does become part of us and part of how we see the world. So I'm wondering if this mass movement of body positivity, while it, the 99% of the time, oh maybe not that, a lot of the time is disingenuous and is purely for um, clout and praise was doing something very bare minimum when it comes to thin white women. Do we not encourage it, but let it be because things that are performative are able to become habitual. And then from that, it becomes a new norm. Does that make sense? I feel like it's hard to explain. I wish I had someone here to talk it out with me. Um, but I'd like you guys to discuss that in the podcast group. The other thing I want to quickly touch on was, um, and this is really quick. I posted a photo of the the man from Little Big, which is a Russian, um, I think like a rave group. Uh, and I'm kind of in love with the man. And I posted saying, Why do I find this man so attractive? for a total question, but one of you replied with something really, really intelligent. And I loved it. And you said, let me get the screen shut up. Because they're wearing feminine clothing and fem presenting males feel safer than mask men. And that is so true, and I think it summarizes um, my whole a lot of my relationships with men. I find slightly feminine men much more attractive, perhaps because they're my quote unquote type, but also perhaps because I feel safer with them. Another thing to discuss in the group that was just a quickie, but I felt like that was definitely worth touching on. So now I'm gonna answer some questions that you guys had and I just looked through my emails and I swiped through and there were quite a few questions about therapy. And as you all know, my answer to every question ever is go to therapy because I do believe therapy is a beneficial tool for everyone in the world if you can afford it and if it won't leave you completely, you know, financially bankrupt by going to therapy. But I do think a regular check on it, even just a couple of sessions uh, will really help you and help you understand your your place in the world and your value in the world and um, what you really want um, without, I guess, being performative and being in performative habits. God, that's going to be the title episode, performative habits. Um, so let me read out these questions. So one person said, I've been thinking I should go to therapy, sort of been thinking for a while, but it's fallen into the too hard basket. And by the time I'm less busy, the urge to go to therapy has sort of passed out hundred percent understand this. Anyway, I think it's time to just do it and stop putting it off. But it made me realize what are the logistics, something like this costs? How do you find a therapist you really vibe with? And what's the process like? What can I expect versus not expect from the experience? And how do you even go about finding one? And someone else asked what to expect from your first therapy session. So these go hand in hand and I felt like it was a good time to talk about it. So obviously I completely understand and I can completely empathise with the feeling that going to therapy is too hard um, and also that you often feel like you need to go to therapy when you are stressed and busy. And then by the time those external stresses pass, you tend to not really quote-unquote need it anymore but what you're doing then is you're putting off some, some self-work that is going to benefit you in the long run. Then when you get stressed again, you won't feel as bad. You won't feel like you need, need, need therapy, need help, like you're, you know, treading water. Um, finding a therapist that you like is really difficult, really, really, really difficult. Uh, I've gone to three different therapists, maybe four, three, three different therapists for more than like a session. Um all of them have been, had different styles. My current therapist is incredible. If you're in Brisbane, I go to Anxiety House. Um, I won't tell you my doctor, but I go to Anxiety House. So if you're in Brisbane and you need someone, they've really got to recommend them to everyone um, because I know someone will ask me who I go to. I don't want to tell you my actual doctor, but that's where I go. Um, but so, okay, I think first and foremost, what I tell my friends when they're finding a new therapist or a therapist at all is the easiest way to find someone who you're going to relate to and feel open with is if you find someone who's around your age and the same gender as you. Now, this obviously is a blanket statement. You could have an amazing therapist who was neither of those things, who was only one of those things. But for me, I find it much easier to open up to my therapist and that's the core to good therapy is being able to open up to someone and see them almost as a friend who is going to guide you through stuff who you're paying to take on your emotional labor. So my therapists have all been women who have been, I think, maximum 10 years older than me. Uh, And, you know, they've all been pretty good. My current therapist though is really great in that she asked me on my first session what kind of therapy do I benefit from the most and I was saying you know I like having autonomy obviously I like having agency but I need some sort of push one way or the other I need some sort of explanation of how I'm feeling because I've also had therapists who have just gone "Uh uh-huh and why do you think that and I don't have the language um the understanding to explain why I feel certain ways and the therapy with my new therapist has been really incredible so that's number one I think try I think the first time you go to therapy it's a good idea to find someone who you can relate to on basic levels such as gender and um, age because it makes it easy to open up you need to be really honest during therapy for it to work I have some friends who go to therapy and say oh but I tell my therapist that and that doesn't help anyone. I, There are things I tell my therapist that I'm embarrassed that I've done or that I, I know that I shouldn't have done, but I know that I need to admit that, to admit it to myself and to admit it to her to be able to work through it. Like when I've texted my ex or when I've, you know, slept with someone that I shouldn't. Or if I'm doing something a bit naughty, I need to tell my therapist because then we can work out where those behaviours come from and perhaps even just where that shame comes from if it actually isn't anything that needs to be dealt with. Um, So that's number one. When you're finding a new therapist, find someone who is um, a similar person to you on paper. Uh, then you can probably find someone from them if they're not really the right fit. But it's important to also go through a few sessions. Unfortunately, this is hard when it comes to cost, but going to a few sessions is is really critical because the first session, and this answers one of the questions, the first session is really, really intense. Um, I'm sure everyone listening has trauma of some kind. Everyone listening has some sort of thing they want to work on themselves or you know whether it's for themselves or for those around them. But I, yeah, I must warn you, it is exhausting. You go into therapy, you sit there and you kind of explain your whole life start to finish uh, in dot points. You are asked questions and there are certain things your therapists will pick up from that first session that they'll delve in deeper to in the next session. Um, it's, it usually takes me about three or four sessions just to give all the information about my life, particularly since being on The Bachelor, um, but even before that, I've had some childhood stuff that I need to deal with via a therapist and they, uh, need to know a lot of the details. And it's something that's really hard for me. I've had, um, you know, I've had a really, really hard times in therapy where I've been shaking because I've been had a fear response because memory has been brought up from my childhood that I have pushed down and suppressed for so long, but it's necessary. It, it, you need to go through it to be able to come out on the other side. You can't go past it. You must go through it. Um, So that's something that is hard to deal with, but trust me, it's for the best. It's like exercising, you know, like once you go into therapy, you know, once you get into your gym and clothes and you get to the gym, you usually – gym isn't as bad as you think it's going to be, you know. Therapy isn't as bad as you think it's going to be. It's getting yourself there and finding the motivation. Now when it comes to uh, cost – Um, If you live in Australia, I think, I don't know if this is an Australian wide thing, don't take my word for this, but I have a mental health plan and I believe you get a certain amount off. So mine ends up being about half price. I pay, I think, I think I'm like $90 out of pocket. Again, don't quote me because I just pay, you know, I just go, I just pay pass whatever. Um, with Medicare and with mental health plan. If you're in Australia, maybe just Queensland, um, go to your doctor, go to your GP and ask the GP for a mental health plan, explain your symptoms and um, they should be able to get you a discounted therapy session. You get ten per year, I believe. Again, again, again. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. I don't know this for sure. Please go to your GP and ask them for the best um, the best course of action. I understand it's really expensive, and that's a huge reason why I didn't go for a little while because I couldn't afford it. Um, but one of the biggest luxuries that I have now in being able to afford it is going to therapy. So it's something that I wish I had prioritized when I when I. Would have struggled to pay for it. Um, I wish I prioritised it over a night out. You know, it's it's expensive but it's not crazy wild $500 a session. You know what I mean? If you get that rebate, it ends up being about as much as like a dinner and then going out for a few drinks. So I do wish that I'd done that work, this work that I'm doing now about five years ago and, you know, perhaps I would be um, much more stable now and not needing to be on antidepressants and not needing to be um, in therapy once a week, though I do think it's important for me to do this at this time and I'm happy that I'm here at this point you know, like I obviously wish that I handled this when I was twenty-one, when I first had to go into therapy. Um, so yeah, I think that's my my best advice when it comes to therapy. Uh, if you have any more questions, feel free to comment in the podcast group, and I will answer, or someone else will answer for you. There are a lot of supportive, amazing people in this; they'll help you out. And that's all I have time for today, guys. That was just a little quickie. I'll be back tomorrow again with a 10-minute episode. Now this week it's just going to keep being 10-minute episodes every day and then when I get out on the 1st of September, you will have your big, long episodes again. And, yeah, let me know if you like these short forms. I'm considering doing little um, my usual episode on a Tuesday and maybe on a Friday we'll do some quick Q&As. Um, like a quick fire moment for 10 to 20 minutes. Let me know if you would like that. I was going to say, let me know if you agree. Let me know if you'd like that. Let me know if you're enjoying these 10-minute episodes and sending much love from my little hotel in Brisbane.